I'm John. And I'm David. And you're listening to the Autocorrect Podcast. So this episode is going to be pretty interesting. It's going to be a combination of similar topics, but they do, you know, they're, they're a little different. Um, we're going to be talking about permafrost to start, which is very interesting. Uh, it's, you know, some people might know of it, some people might not. There's a lot more than meets the eye with permafrost. Yeah, and it seems simple, but it's not exactly. So permafrost is ground that remains below zero degrees Celsius, which is 32 degrees Fahrenheit, so freezing point, uh, for two or more years. So there is, what, 15% of the northern hemisphere and 11% global is covered in, you know, permafrost in some depth, in some thickness. Um, and then there's also some on the southern hemisphere, unlike mountaintops, and also in areas of Antarctica that don't have ice on the surface. So there's a few main areas where you're going to find permafrost, though, which is Alaska, Greenland, Canada, Siberia, you know, places that are, as we all know, cold climates. The places that, you, that come to mind when you think of the word cold. Yeah, really. But the interesting thing to, to note here is that permafrost can be any thickness, as long as it has been frozen for two or more years. It can be an inch. It can be miles. It can be any, any depth. And the other thing is permafrost isn't necessarily at the surface either. This is not strictly a completely frozen surface. You can dig down to find permafrost too. Yeah, it doesn't have to like start at the surface and go down. It can be any thickness at any depth. So it's, you know, it can be any depth, but it is ice essentially it's permafrost is ice that has biomass suspended in it so it's frozen ground um and a byproduct of that is it's also frozen in time yeah so it creates pretty much a timeline of you know what the earth has been for you know any given period however long it's been frozen um when it was forming it at least and so this has there's a couple people that have done actually really cool youtube videos on it um uh physics girl is one is very interesting video that, but that was a very interesting video this is you know one of the biggest things now is that it, there's a massive impact on it from global warming yeah and the huge thing here is that it it does a lot more damage than people think because as the ice melts you have flooding you have sinkholes that form and you one of the big things is you have off-gassing from biomass being released and not only that we also lose the timeline that was essentially frozen so it can uh it can also be detrimental in that respect too yeah and so one of the things with like off-gassing so as as gases are released as things you know it, as things melt um, as the temperatures rise and there's off-gassing, the more gas that is released, the quicker the atmosphere heats up. So it's a, you know, it's a constructive cycle, but in a negative sense. Yeah, it's a greenhouse gas cycle, essentially. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's a lot. Um, but 
the there's the one of the oldest that that was ever has a that's been dated is in Siberia. It's six hundred fifty thousand years, uh, and then the the oldest one we've dated so far is seven hundred forty thousand years, and that's in the Canadian Yukon. So, those have a lot <laughs> preserved in them. Yeah, huge significance. But and you know those are incredibly deep, but it's it's pretty interesting and and it's it's also kind of weird to think that just global warming is the biggest threat. Yeah, I mean, it, it obviously the planet goes through heating and cooling cycles, but uh, it, it's very dangerous too. Yeah, and it creates, you know, as it melts, it not only do we lose, you know, the possibility to know that history, but it also does create physical hazard. You know, people's houses have been swallowed by sinkholes created from melting permafrost, and there's, you know, landslide. There's all these different things. There's flooding. There's all kinds of stuff that can happen, and it is, you know, it's not necessarily, it's not preventable now, but... Yeah, well, as we said, permafrost can be essentially any size as long as it's been frozen for two or more years. We're usually talking about large sections of permafrost that are square miles that go thousands of feet deep if not miles deep yeah so it's you know it's interesting and it is like a a timeline we've we've spoken about a lot of things and you know when we've been discussing arctic and exploration but there are a lot of very interesting things that are you know frozen in time uh in permafrost but it's you know it's going to be gone. So it's, it's going to, it's going to, it's all going to melt eventually, but you know, hopefully we get more, you know, hopefully we get to record more. Yeah. Essentially at this point, it's a game of just recording what data we can in on the trends that we're following. There's no immediate solution to turn this around. So the name of the game is essentially just to record as much data as we can while we still have it. Yeah, and you know there are a couple other things to consider. Like you have, in as as permafrost melts, you have things like bacteria that were frozen that are only there because they were preserved, um, and things that are incredibly deadly to us also that are, yeah, dangerous. That things that are released that have been, you know, captured in time, and it is a concern of some of the things that are released from permafrost melting in that sense. There's a lot of things like bacteria and, you know, microorganisms and things that uh, should not be, should not be around. Yes. <laughs> so there's that whole, you know, there's that whole aspect to it as well. But, you know, that, that, all, that all is, you know, involved in it actually melting. So... Keeping with our ground-themed underground, we're going to move on to our next topic, which is the underground lab that's being built in Australia. Southeastern Australia, to be exact. Yeah. And so there's a facility that's being made. It's in what I believe is an old gold mine. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's correct. And it's one kilometer underground. In 
American units, that's 3,280 feet. So this is not close to the surface. This is considerably below the surface, which we'll explain a little later on why that's important. Little freedom units. <laughs> so this, this lab is, is deep, and it's specifically designed to detect dark matter, which dark matter, it's a point of contention. But it is, it, you know, it theoretically eighty percent of the universe consists. Eighty percent of it, the matter is dark matter. Is the theory? Well, dark matter sounds like something that maybe out of like a sci-fi movie or sci-fi novel or something like that. It is incredibly important to our existence and our universe's existence. It it, it is if we can prove that dark matter exists, it is quite literally groundbreaking so one of the things here dark matter is a form that if i remember correctly is only affected by gravity and one of the big things here and one of the arguing points that people have made is looking at how you know with the orbits of everything in the, in the rotation of uh our galaxy and so if you look further out you would expect it to be traveling slower. The outer outer reaches. Yeah. It's not. It's traveling at the same speed. That's what's interesting. Which makes absolutely no sense. Because in theory, the further out you get with the mass, the slower it should be going. It, it should be lagging behind, <laughs> yes. essentially. But this is this is one of the things that's like if 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 dark matter is affected by gravity it would explain why it would explain the speed but there this isn't a new you know it's not a brand new discovery and it's not a a, a new argument there's there's a facility in in uh what is it under the italian alps yeah this f new facility in australia is meant to work in conjunction with the dama libra facility in in italy which has already been operating for over two decades. Yeah, and so Dama Libra has been collecting data, and what they found is that there are two cycles a year, and what they think is that it's explained by the orbit of the Earth around the sun. And if you know, we are moving through space, uh, not, we're not, you know, the sun isn't stationary. First no. of all. And our orbit is not circular either. It's elliptical. Well, our orbit is on an angle. We don't, uh, we don't, we're not like on a flat plane. So as the sun moves, we're on a slight angle. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not sure how to, you know, verbally describe this very well without a picture, but it's kind of yeah, like. pictures if you don't look work at, too well over podcasts. If you look at our trajectory. <laughs> In terms of like orbit, it's a spiral. Yes. Um, as as we like lag behind the sun a little bit. And so So that's the purpose of having this second lab be in the opposite hemisphere from the first lab. So theoretically, if the if they detect the same cycle, it is almost certainly dark matter. Because the other thing is like, well, maybe it could be other things like tourists like more people being you know this kind of thing seasons but 
if it's in the opposite hemisphere, but they're getting the same reading, it can't be, you know, seasons or something like that. Yeah, because there there are a lot of other variables that do coincide with the data that they are gathering at uh, Dama Libra. And so this is the point of the new facilities. It's supposed to, you know, collect more data and be able to figure out and compare because if they are the same data, then it is a huge, it is, it is a huge deal. It's most likely, it, it, it almost confirms it, but that's why it's in the opposite hemisphere. And so this detector is a very large piece of equipment. Absolutely massive. It, uh, it consists of seven crystals. There's seven kilograms each. There's sodium iodide. And they're as pure as possible. But. Which, which, if you don't know, absolutely pure sodium iodide is clear. It is completely, it is completely transparent. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Huh. So, it, you know, we should note that everything is, it, it's not, you can't get 100% perfect, but. And this is the thing. So the theory is that if a dark matter particle hits a nucleus, transfers the energy, it creates a faint flash of light, which is a scintillation. And these scintillations are supposed to be detected by extremely sensitive photomultiplier tubes, which are above and below each end of the crystal. And so there are a couple challenges here because uh you know even even pure crystal it's got decay and so the decay could be a false read and yeah. so the primary you know the the primary check is that the whole apparatus the whole instrument is submerged in a tank of 12 tons of uh linear alkylbenzene now that's that's 12 fluid tons right oh my god <laughs> So <laughs> I'm leaving that in. I hope you know that. I, I hope you do leave it in. <laughs> so uh, the, this fluid is a liquid uh, scintillator. So it does a, you know, the same thing that the crystals do. And I hope that also helps put into perspective just how massive this detector is, that it, it has literal tons of fluid the idea is if the photomultiplier tubes detect the scintillation in the fluid and in the crystal, it's most likely from decay, not from dark matter. But if they only detect it in the crystal, it's most likely from dark matter. Yeah. And so this is the thing, and this, this facility is so far underground because it, you know, it's protecting it from cosmic rays. So muons uh, which have the electrons and so muons can create flashes of light um so which muons, can be read by this apparatus as a false reading right and so you know cosmic rays hit our atmosphere come down almost at the speed of light and that's that's muons um, and in, in any given area above ground you'll you'll have multiple muons detected per second yeah, and it, so it's not like an isolated incident. It's very continuous. So there's, you know, just being 
this far underground, you they detect zero. So there's there you know it it insulates from that. But in the you know event that there is over time something, they do have a muon detector on the top of the tank, so they'll know as also so they can check all of these things. So if one thing trips and it's not supposed to, they'll know it was a false reading. But that's not the only thing you have to deal with when being underground, which anybody that has an old house that has a stone foundation will know about radon. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so radon is a problem. Um, so they have a special coating that is on the walls of this massive cavern, and it's designed to control and contain the radiation, the, the radon, as, you know, as it's emitted by the ground. Because all of these things can cause false readings. So they have this incredibly controlled environment. It's expensive, as everything is. But as everything science-related is, but... It's the cost of moving our understanding of the universe forward. Yeah, it's... It's impressive. And, you know, you look at a... You know, we've talked about the James Webb Telescope. An absolutely monumental project. Right. We've we've talked about quite a few things in the past or coming or, you know, we uh we're coming up on a year. We actually we you know, we started recording back in last May. May. Yeah. Last the, May. Yeah, a little over a year ago. Now our first episode didn't come out until way later than that. But we were just past our like one year mark of like when we started recording. And our very first episode was about James Webb. But, you know, we've talked about these different facilities and equipment and, you know, we're in the future we're going to talk about CERN. And all of these things are so incredibly sensitive and complicated. And so having, you know, you look at someplace like CERN and how this ridiculous how unbelievable that is. And you look at something like this facility, which is, you know, not large in the same sense, but it's equally as complicated and important. <laughs> I, I would say in terms of what it's, uh, what they're working on. We honestly could probably do an entire series on just CERN. Oh, easily. We're uh, working on finding out more about the long line stations that we talked about in our previous episode. Yeah, there's uh, actually some pretty rich history with, at least with Connecticut in the Cold War and with these long line stations. So. And the, and the uh, missile launch sites. So a lot of them have been destroyed and stuff, but we have a few people we have to reach out to. And, you know, we're going to hopefully get quite a few guests on this this summer. They're probably going to all be remote, but yeah. We're working on lining that up, and that, that we're hoping that's interesting to everybody. It's going to be a lot of fun for us. Yeah, if uh, if you have something that you'd like to, to share with us and would like to possibly appear as a guest, feel free to send us an email. Yeah, and I'm going to be, you know, in the next couple of days, hopefully get the website up. So when we, you know, we talked about this in the last episode, but once that's up, uh, we'll make an Instagram post. Yeah, and uh, once the website's out, we'll also have, uh, I don't know how often it'll go out, but we will have a newsletter that goes out periodically. For now, it's most likely going to be once a month, and I'll just kind of talk about 
you know what we plan on covering that'll be really really cool just you know if you look up uh the autocorrect podcast on instagram you know you can find all the information for that when it's released but hopefully that kind of lets everybody be a little more connected and uh we have a lot of really cool topics we want to cover um yeah we're hoping to produce a lot of content this summer i don't know um how much of it will actually come out over the summer and how much will be staggered throughout the rest of the year. But uh, obviously we're both in school in engineering programs, so free time during the year is scarce, to say the least. Yeah, we pre-record a lot of stuff. You know, and during the year we'll record multiple episodes. But yeah, especially towards the latter half of this year, there should be some pretty interesting content that we produce. Yeah, we're going to get into space exploration. We're going to get into... Yeah, that's going to be next month. Um, yeah. I, uh, July is going to be like our quote-unquote space month because obviously July was the anniversary of the moon landing. Yep, and we're going to be, you know, in, in kind of... So, you know, related to our exploration and Arctic, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, more ocean exploration and things also hopefully we'll have some guests um most if not all will be remote yeah so but it will be it'll be really cool and we have a couple other things we want to you know we want to cover that might be a little outside of the series at the at that time but you know we'll kind of let you know as those uh as those come out you know this is we're kind of still getting our you know getting in the groove of you know how we really want to structure this yeah if you can't tell it's already changed multiple times since last year yeah it's kind of you know it's it's developed we really we do like doing the series format and you know having multiple related episodes there are some times where we do want to you know add a couple things that are are relevant and they're outside of it but yeah we... and also a couple like special features like um We've tried to record it a few times already, but none successfully. Um, we do want to do an episode about uh, equipment and electric equipment and how that uh, vertically integrates with each other. And uh, we're also going to cover Ernest Shackleton before we finish this, uh, you know, this round of exploration i think you know that, what's... that'll probably be like the the page break for our exploration series yeah and so what's most likely going to happen is it's almost going to be seasons for some series there will be some series that we frequent um that we come back to every year yeah but you know there'll be however many episodes you know four or five six however many we do each year of certain ones and then you know add add others in so we're going to reach out to some people hopefully we're going to have some really cool interviews soon and you know subject to change but we're thinking we're going to have a, a series called masters at work where we interview people that are kind of leads in their field or you know just extremely experienced and uh that should be really cool yeah so so that's gonna be it for uh this episode and uh we'll catch you guys next time thanks for listening